HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit corin.com. Now streaming from HRN, this is The Feed Feed. I'm Jay Cohen, Editorial Director of The Feed Feed, the world's largest crowdsourced food publication and social media community, serving as your daily source of what to cook, bake, and drink. Occasionally joined by our co-founders, Julie and Dan Resnick, we sit down with leaders and upstarts of the food media realm. So we often say that we're, as Feed Feed, answering this sort of age-old question, which is, what do we eat for fill-in-the-blank, breakfast, lunch, dinner? Our approach to doing so involves lifting up voices from culinary content creators all over the world, no matter how big or small their following is. This podcast takes the democratization of food media one step further by giving a behind-the-scenes look of the Epicurean magazines, websites, videos, and accounts you digest every day. We'll discuss everything from breaking into the industry, navigating social media. That's been my bigger social media thing is like, I think like I just get bored very quickly. And even when things are working really well, I'm like, everyone's doing this. I don't want to do this anymore. Building and growing community. People are like, why is it five E's? And I'm like, I don't know. When you say eats, how many E's does that feel like it sounds like? And that's why. No real good rhyme or reason to any of it, but that's also kind of been our style this whole time and producing content that resonates with young and old. You know, if someone doesn't like my writing or the photographs of my book or the design, that's subjective. But if I see that a recipe didn't work, that I really failed someone. So whether you want to know what goes into food styling a magazine cover, the process of getting a cookbook deal, understanding what the hell TikTok is, or grasping how a recipe can go viral. I mean, I guess the thing about going viral too is that um, then it becomes, it's out there and and people start claiming it as their own. And that's happened a few times recently with that tart, which is sort of depressing. Mm, but... Drag them. <laughs> Name names. I'm not naming no. any names, but you know who you are. <laughs> we'll be covering it all. This is the Feed Feed Podcast. Subscribe to the Feed Feed wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, welcome to Japan Needs. I'm your host, Akiko Tema, a food writer and the director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes deep understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from the studio at Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every Italian supermarket. 
But what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi ramen izakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is still a mystery for many people, so I try to demystify it in this program with my cool guests. My guest today is Eric Remretz, who is the chef and owner of the modern Peruvian restaurant, La Main, and the more casual Peruvian spot, La Mita, and the modern Nikkei Peruvian restaurant, La Masa. And Peruvian cuisine is a very hot genre in the culinary world right now. As you may know, there are Peruvian citizens of Japanese ancestry called Nikkei, who has influenced Peruvian cuisine over the last century. And Eric is a Nikkei decent as well. And Nikkei cuisine is getting attention globally too. For example, Veron、uh, Adria and Alberto Adria, the two brothers of El Bui, opened the Nikkei restaurant Pacta in Barcelona in 2013. And Maido in Lima, Peru, is currently ranked number 10 in the 50 world best restaurant list. And in New York, Eric is a big ambassador of Peruvian food culture. I have eaten his restaurant multiple times, not only because food is truly delicious, but also I learned so much about the rich culture of Peru. So, today we'll discuss Eric's unique family background, his passion for Peruvian culture, what Nikkei cuisine is, how he expresses the uniqueness of Peruvian food on his plates, and much, much more. But quickly, before we start, Japan is available on Heritage Radio Network website, as well as on iTunes, Stitch, and Spotify as a podcast. So, please go to iTunes, Stitch, and Spotify and subscribe to Japanese. And please write a review. We really appreciate your feedback. Also, if you have、uh, any comments or requests about the show,、uh, please email us at japanese at heritageradionetwork.org or akikotayama.com. Now, let's start our conversation with Eric Remnitz. Hello, Eric. Welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me. So,、um, first, congratulations on your big success on Lamasan. That's a New York, star, a New York Times three stars, which is huge. Thank you. So,、uh, first of all, so where are you from and what did you eat when you grew up? So, I am from, so I, was, I grew up here. I was born here. I'm from, from、uh, Clifton, New Jersey.、Um, both of my parents are both Peruvian. Um, and the food that I grew up eating is,、um, was like traditional, like home style Peruvian food,、mm. what we call comida criolla.、Mm. Um, my mom did a lot of cooking at home.、Uh, comida criolla is the, it's, it's the mix of、um, the Spanish, the African, the indigenous,、mm. with some Chinese sprinkled into there.、Right. So that's the thing, right?、Like、we don't expect Peru is what? And then it's a very. Good mixture, like even like Brazil, kind of equivalent of great mixture、yeah. of the culture. But I think what Peru, what makes the cuisine special for me, it's,、um, it's the cultural influences、mm. and,、uh, and, and, all, and the, the geography, all the, all the biodiversity the country、mm. has to offer.、Um, you have, for the cultural influences, you have the Spanish, African, indigenous, Chinese, Japanese,、mm. a little Italian. Um, and then, if you look at the geography of the country, you have the way it's broken down. You have the, the coast,、mm. you have the mountains, the Andes, then you have forest, rainforest, and then the south is all desert. So, a result of that, you have all these amazing products,、mm. right. all these amazing ingredients.、Mm. So, all that combined is what, is what makes Peruvian cuisine、right. special. And、uh, I'm sure they're regional. Specialities too. There is, you know, depending on what part of Peru, like for instance, if you're the coast, you'll see a lot more like、um, seafood based、mm. uh, dishes. If you go more inland, like mountains, a lot more,、um, 
a lot more like like heartier like stews using a lot more like different types of like meat mm. you want to call them game style meats um, you know like for instance Arequipa which is kind of southern like a little more like southern uh, inland of Peru they have a lot of like regional dishes that come from there that are that are like considered like Arequipeño dishes you know mm. um, so yeah right. so that's one of the countries I really want to go to you yes. have to. <laughs> so then. I mean, it, there's a lot to see, like with Machu Picchu and the ruins. Mm-hmm. But like, it's for the food. It's it's pretty impressive. Right. Okay. So I'll discuss when I decide to go. <laughs> when I get tickets, I will email you. Um, so, uh, so you are a descendant of Japanese immigrant to Peru. So, could you tell us about it? Yeah. So on my dad's side, everybody's 100% Peruvian. On my mom's side. Um, so my mom grew up in Peru. Her father is of Italian parents. So he's Italian, but grew up in Peru. And my grandmother, my grandmother is, um, half Japanese, half Peruvian. Mm. So her dad migrated from, from Japan, right. met my great grandmother and then had my grandmother. Mm. Yeah. Right. So did you have any elements of Japanese-ness when you not, got- No, not, not really. <laughs> that, that was, that was a part of 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 me growing up that i really didn't know much about but the older i got and and um the older i got and and the more i started learning about peruvian cuisine and cooking it more um it was definitely a part of of who i am that like intrigued me you know Mm. i want to learn more about it right you know and i think a good way of like learning about culture is through food Mm. so that was like one of the reasons that we wanted to do Lamasan, mm. along with other reasons, but that's, that's one of them. Right. That's interesting. I just recently found that I'm 1% Vietnamese. <laughs> the 23 and me, an update. I'm like, wow. Suddenly the country looks I know. Very it's like close. my pinky is like Japanese. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Right. So, and uh, how did you get into cooking? Um, so, I don't know. So, like, there was like a certain point in my life where I needed to kind of like figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And, um, you know, like I was always surrounded by really good food, you know, and like always family gatherings were always around like good food, you know? And, um, and my uncle, my uncle was a chef, oh, kind of like a chef. Like he, like he, he, uh, he moved from the, from Peru to the States, lived in, uh, lived in New Jersey for a bit and then moved down South and he lived in Louisiana. And he did a lot of cooking out there. And I think I think he's probably, you know, like the main reason that I kind of wanted to get into the whole mm. cooking thing. Because every time, you know, he'd come visit or we go visit him, it was always like he made it like a like a thing. Like it was very fun and, you know, he made it exciting. So, mm. you know, there was like that point where I just needed to figure out what I was going to do. So I decided to go into the into to cooking. Mm. So how did you study cooking? So I went to the Art Institute of Philadelphia in, in Philadelphia for culinary arts. Um, I only did it for a little bit. I didn't, I didn't actually finish, but... Um, and I started cooking in Philly, cooked there for about five years, and then mm. I moved to New York. Nice. So I, well, I, you wanted to do more hands-on. That's what I, you told me a long time ago, so... Yeah. Right. So, and then, so tell me some of the restaurants you worked at and also, what did you learn from each place? So, so some of the re- some of the restaurants that I worked at Philadelphia were um, I don't think it longer exists, but it was Novelty Restaurant. 
and I actually spent like three years there and I think that's kind of that really formed the base of like you know like that that really kind of opened my eyes to um like to like the potential that cooking had you know and I really didn't know much about it but working with the people that that I worked with and, and really kind of really like starting to like really enjoy mm. enjoy it you know at first it was just like oh cooking you know but then like working there and, and being surrounded about being surrounded by like you know like professional people that really took it seriously really kind of rubbed off on me and, mm. and I think novelty really kind of opened my eyes for for this for this career mm. um so and then I worked at uh, West Washington Square which was like um a Stephen Starr restaurant but the chef was Marcus Samuelson wow um, in the time that I was working there, I did part-time at Alma de Cuba for Jose Garces and Douglas mm-hmm. Rodriguez. Right. That was kind of like the first time kind of getting into the whole like Nuevo Latino, mm. um, which was cool, you know, but like doing that, that style of food, I kind of, at that time, I was a lot younger. I kind of thought to myself, that's not like the food that I wanted to cook. Mm. You know, I kind of wanted to do more of like the modern American French Right. Fine dining. At that time, it was all about like French fine dining. Mm. So, um, yeah, that was the time, right? Like fine dining equals French. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So I, I spent five years there, and then I moved to New York, and I got a job at this restaurant called Fredericks on Madison. Mm. It was on Madison, and like I don't, I can't remember if it was on Madison. It might have been on Lexington, like sixties and Lexington. And the chef there was um, was Vincent. His name was Vincent, um, and he was one of the sous chefs at West Washington Square. Mm. So he so Marcus brought like his crew from I think Aquavie, like all the chefs that worked with him at Aquavie. And right. There are a lot of sous chefs at West Washington Square. So when I moved to New York, I kind of got a job with him, just trying to figure out where I wanted to work. And then um, while working there, I got a trail at Eleven Madison Park, and I kind of. Took the job there, spent three years there mm. as a sous chef, and then after That's that, a big deal. yeah, that was a good gig. <laughs> Learned a lot there. Mm. Um, after that, I went to Irving Mill, mm. spent a couple years there. Nice. And then, Rimey mm. or Nuella, which was also like kind of like my first time like jumping back into like the whole Latino thing. Mm. Um, so Nuella was Nuevo Latino. The chef was Adam Shop. And um, spent two years there. Didn't really go that well. And I kind of didn't, like, wanted to do that food. Mm. Uh, but the owners were Colombian. And they wanted to close the restaurant and reopen it as Rimey. Mm, okay. And then Rimey was, like, full-blown Peruvian. Mm. Um, I was kind of on the fence about doing that. Um, the owner was very, like, adamant about, like, you know, like, just kept pushing me and kept saying, man, you're Peruvian. You should do this. You know, mm. it's like... It's your heritage. It's in your blood. You can, uh, you know, you can really do, um, you can do something different with it. I was I had my reservations about it. I wasn't sure if that's what I wanted to do. And then I ended up taking a trip to Peru. Mm. And I think that's what. Now I've I've always gone to Peru to visit family, but I this trip was more in my like late twenties, and it was a it was with like a different eye, right? It was more of like, like a culinary, you know, more professional, more career perspective and um just the food that they were doing and all the the flavors that i've never had before and the ingredients really kind of opened my eye and really kind of Mm. made me think and and want to do this uh 
to this food. Right. That was a very, you captured a very interesting transition of Latin cuisine. And then Latin cuisine now becoming Mexican, Venezuelan, and Peruvian. So there's a path of growth. Mm-hmm. Like back in, in the, the day, it was like a mix of all of them, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah what, what does Latin cuisine mean? It's like Asian cuisine versus Japanese, Chinese, and Korean kind They're of thing. They're all different. Right. Yeah. So, and then you opened uh, your place, uh, Lama, in, in uh, 2015. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so it's in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. It's in a cool spot. And so, what is the concept of Lama Inn, and why did you open it? Lama Inn, Lama Inn is 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 a modern Peruvian restaurant. It's um, it's taken the like like Peruvian ingredients, Peruvian flavor profiles, culture, history, uh, molded by by like New York seasons, New York technique. You know, um, the way, you know, like how, how things work in New York, right? Mm-hmm. How restaurants operate. Um, you know, and that's, that's, that's what Lama Inn is. You know, it's, I guess it's a fusion. Uh, it's not necessarily a fusion. It's, you know, it's just, it's a different perspective, a different eye, different, different way to, to kind of showcase proving cuisine. Mm. You know, everybody always has like this idea of like proving cuisine, which, you know, it's the rotisserie chicken or the green sauce or ceviche. Mm. You know, I kind of wanted to get past that, that, um, that stereotype, Mm. you know? And I thought, you know, with Lama Inn is kind of like, you know, giving something that's a little more familiar while like introducing something that's Peruvian, mm-hmm. you know, making it a little more accessible so people can understand it a little bit better. Right. Um, so that was like the goal with Lama Inn, you know, to kind of introduce Peruvian cuisine, but in a, in a different way, you know, a different light, you know, so, so people can, can understand it a little bit more. Right. I mean, my opinion, I, I think you said that you use the word fusion, but to me, Fusion is more like based on American cuisine. Some foreign elements come in, but I think that's the opposite in case of Lama Inn. Of Lama more, Inn, yeah. You're more Peruvian, yeah. and then the style is more approachable. Uh, although I think Peruvian cuisine by nature is pretty approachable too. So It yeah. is. Right. So what are the examples of the dishes that you serve at the Lama Inn? That do you think you represent the interpretation of your Peruvian cuisine? So one of the dishes that I think is like our most popular dish, and it's been on the menu since day one, is the beef tenderloin stir fry, mm. which is lomo saltado, right? That's like a, a dish that every Peruvian loves and knows. Um, and you, traditionally, you serve it with rice. We kind of made it a little more fun, a little more interactive, did like a, a larger portion, so it's shareable. Mm. It's served the exact same way, you know. It's it's the stir fried beef and like a soy sauce based sauce, onions, uh, tomatoes. Then we cover it in French fries, but but we serve it with like a, kind of like Chinese style crepes. Mm. And it's kind of like you make your own taco right. thing. Um, we have anticuchos, which anticuchos are like like grilled, traditionally grilled beef heart. It's a street food in Peru, but we do different uh, different variations. We do pork belly, chicken thigh. Shrimp, squid, sweetbreads, beef heart. Um, We have ceviches, but not like traditional ceviches. You know, we'll have, for instance, a ceviche that's uh, made with dashi and bananas. Mm. Um, Currently, we have a hot ceviche on the menu, which is like all the the seafood is grilled and served with uh, what we call leche de tigre, which is the base of our ceviches. Mm. But it's hot. You know, so it's a little, it's different. 
Um, I haven't even tried it, so I have to go there. It's very good. <laughs> Just it's it's a new dish on the menu. Mm. Um, yeah, those are, the, and then we have like a vegetable section using kind of like uh, certain Peruvian ingredients. Mm. You know, Peruvians don't eat that many vegetables, so you know that's that's kind of like where the New York steps into place, right? Right. Um, but then you know we'll use something that is locally found here and it's in season, and we'll put like a like a like a Peruvian ingredient or. Or like a like a flavor on it that's that's not like not um not recognizable here, I guess. Right. You know? Right. So, um and you didn't grow up in Peru but you were exposed to as you said, both Peruvian culture and the New York culture. So as a chef, what is the advantage of knowing two culture, you know, elements? I think I think the advantage here is is kind of, you know, like having the time spent in New York City and working here, right? Understanding how things work, understanding the market, you know, um, and I, th- I, th- I think that's a the huge, huge advantage, mm. you know. And then on the other side, like growing up with that food, right? You know, n- you know, there was a I never really thought it was the food I was going to cook. Interesting. You know, but I mean, it it is the food that I cook now, but. Uh, and uh, just kind of being exposed to, like, those two different types of cultures kind of, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think I had that upper hand opposed to, like, somebody coming from Peru and trying to mm. try and do something here and not really understanding how things work here. Right. You know, it could be a little more difficult. Mm. And the food flavor-wise, it's like, uh, you know, uh, learning language. When you are very little, you know that, and it's a part of you. But you yeah, it's like to... it's embedded in you. It's It's like, it's the... It's like the palate you grew up with, right. you know. And also the mindset behind it, too. Yeah. Right. Okay. And uh, you opened uh, La Mita in West Village in two th- uh, 2018. So what is the concept of La Mita and um, uh, why did you open it? La Mita is more of a day concept. So there's 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 a pretty big sandwich culture in Peru. And, and I think the sandwiches in Peru are amazing. And I personally love eating sandwiches. So... <laughs> We wanted to do like a kind of like a like a lunch, you know, fast, casual counter service lunch place with sandwiches and smoothies and a couple like salads. So that's how um, that's how Yamita started, right? It was it was a sandwich place. Um, and then eventually we did dinner. We, we kind of started doing dinner, and uh, the dinner part of it was more traditional food. Mm. You know, I always thought like you know like Peruvians are like the hardest people to please. <laughs> our toughest customers because <laughs> they're the younger ones that come in and they're very accepting of like what we're doing and they they understand that we're trying to push the cuisine and culture forward you know and and they get it you know they'll eat the food and they'll be like oh man this is delicious and it's awesome how you did this with this and that but when you have more traditional like more like um like older proving people that want traditional proving food and they come there and they realize that that's not what they're getting it's they're mm. a little more fussy about it right you know more like oh well this is not <laughs> what it's supposed to be like you know That's that wasn't funny. our goal because you know like that community is a lot smaller mm. than like the food community in new york you know we want to reach more people right um so because of that we always thought to do yamita mm. to be able to give the peruvians the food that they want to eat mm. something a little more traditional more homey you know um for instance like an aguadito, which is like a cilantro-based, uh, like rice stew with like seafood mm. in it. You know, we we try to stick to, you know, like we don't 
we don't we don't diverge from like how it's supposed to be made. You right. know, we try to stick to the way that it's supposed to be made, and we try to get as close to that. So, mm. so it's a kind of uh, interesting, I don't know, like R and D area for your. It's exactly. It's it's a place to like for Yamita for us. It was for me. It was especially like, it was like a place to really kind of like, for instance, like dishes that I haven't grown up eating or dishes I wasn't familiar with to really kind of like test them out there, you know, mm. and, and figure out and like, you know, like, like learn more about regional cooking in Peru. And, and, um, it was, it's definitely a place. It was, it was good for that, you know, right. and you can always like take that base that, that you learned and figured out there and apply it at the other different restaurants and kind of do a different, interpretation of it you know make mm. it more llama in or make it more llama san right hmm that's important because like so many you know like big restaurants uh who has a lot of funding investors they have separate division of like you know noma or those the department of research yeah right like the fermentation department and right. all that stuff yeah yeah so you have that so <laughs> All right, so uh, let's take a quick break here. And when we come back, we'll discuss Eric's Nikkei Cuisine Restaurant, Lama-san. So please stay with us. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. Corin is proud of their Japanese culture and traditions, but they want you to know that their products are not just for Japanese restaurants. The knives and tableware bring out the best qualities of food from every culture and fit into every restaurant, from French to Pan-Asian to American, and that is why they are located in New York City, where people from every country in the world come to eat. Corin's Tribeca showroom is home to the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan. Stop by to view the exquisitely designed tableware and the Welsh natural sharpening stones. They have a whole range of knife services, from repair and rust removal to reshaping and realigning. Corin is dedicated to this ideal, bringing the highest quality Japanese design to your table so you can experience the unparalleled quality of Japanese craftsmanship in your home or restaurant. For more information, visit corin.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Japanese Broadcast Live from a studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I'm your host, Akiko Daima, and my guest today is Eric Ramirez, who is a chef and owner of the modern Peruvian restaurant Lama Sam and Lama Inn, and a more casual spot, um, Ramita, and a modern Nikkei Peruvian restaurant, Lama Sam. So, uh, right, so let's talk about Nikkei restaurant. So you opened the Nikkei-themed restaurant Lama Sam in West Village in September 2019, and... Um, it is by viewing a lot of accolades from all over the media. So first, oh, oh, what is Nikkei cuisine? Nikkei cuisine. Nikkei Nikkei cuisine is um, it's it's a it's it's a cultural cuisine developed over generations. It's mm-hmm. it's um, it's the fusion of of Japanese culture and customs tied together with Peruvian ingredients right. and flavors. It's, it's, Peruvian, it's Peruvian ingredients, uh, Peruvian flavor profiles, uh, Japanese ingredients, Chinese ingredients molded by, by Japanese technique, mm. uh, Japanese customs. Right. Um, and I heard that um, like a major um, immigration from Japan to Peru, Peru. happened 
in 1899, there's like 790 Japanese went to Peru、mm-hmm. by ship. In the sa- Sakaru Maru. Okay. That's the name of the. the oh, yeah, ship, Sakura Maru.、Uh, yeah, yeah. Late 1800s, yeah. Right. And、uh, I think that's, that's a lot of people, but you know, that's kind of foundational. I think that was, that was the first wave of the, of the Japanese migration.、Mm. Yeah. So.、Um, Peru was the only South American country that had political ties to, to、mm, Japan.、Right. Um, I, think like, uh, I think 20 years before that, they signed a treaty. I think it was like the, the Friendship and Navigation Treaty, something, something along the lines of that.、Right. Um, so Peru had diplomacy with, with Japan. And、um, at that time, Japan was going through a recession. The economy、mm-hmm. wasn't, wasn't doing that well.、Right. And、um, because of those ties that we had,、um, Peru,、um, you know,、uh, like Japanese laborers were starting to look in other places to find work. And、uh, during that time in Peru, a lot of Chinese laborers kind of just like left.、Mm. So、um, a lot of Japanese laborers started going to Peru, you know, because of. Agriculture, you know, a lot of coastal plantations, you know,、mm. and they were kind of setting up these like、uh, labor contracts to kind of go there, work for X amount of years, save up money, and then head back to Japan.、Mm. Um, but a lot of them ended up staying.、Um, and then they started families, developing businesses,、right. you know, and that's kind of how, you know, like adjusting and adapting to living in a different country, you know, learning to use their ingredients. Right. But still trying to cook your food. You know, that's how that whole thing、mm, started, right? Right. And maybe that's the beauty of it. Like, you know, out of necessity, you come up、out、with something. Out of necessity, exactly. You know, two, two, a, two ancient, you know, civilizations kind of like one of them, one of one, like each other never like outdoing、right. themselves. You know, it's、mm. always like, you know, and then it becomes like this like happy, like perfect. Like marriage, you know? Right.、Um, yeah, no, no one was taken over by the other. Exactly.、Mm. Exactly. And that's, that's, that's what Nikkei is, right? It's not, it's something that's been developed over years,、mm. you know? And, and,、um, so, like,、uh, um, that's the, what's the dish that, that we present side by side, working together? Well, I think, I, I, well, there's a couple, right? I think,、uh, I think one of the dishes is the parihuela, which is a seafood stew. Mm hmm. And I think, one of the, I think that was like one of the first dishes that I learned about、uh, being Nikkei, right? So, taking, taking the idea of that traditional dish and then adding Japanese ingredients to it,、mm. you know? And that's, that's, like,、uh, and that's how that dish became Nikkei. There's also the pulpa al olivo, which is like, like,、um, like just thinly sliced octopus in an olive sauce.、Mm. You know, that's, that's very representative of、so、Nikkei. So, that thinly、cuisine. sliced means a sashimi, sashimi kind of. Sashimi, yeah.、Right. So, like, They, they, the Japanese introduced like different like ways of handling seafood and how to properly like cut it. And you know, just like for instance, like the ceviche, the ceviche is, is said to be、um, highly influenced by the Japanese,、mm. you know, and the same with the tiradito. Tiradito is sliced fish, like the sashimi, ceviche is cut into cubes,、mm. you know,、um, that's where you can find the influence、right. that the Japanese people had.、Um, So, yeah, that was, so like, that was the first wave. And then the kids, like their children that grew up in Peru, grew up with like 
the best of both worlds, mm. right? They grew up with Japanese parents, you know, growing up in a household that's Japanese with those customs and, and eating that food. Mm. And then growing up in Peru and being exposed to everything else that's going around. Right. You know, so... And, like, that second generation, you know, like, I think that's the generation that really prospered, that really kind of, you know, put, you know, like, kind of really prospered Japanese, like, culture. And, and it, it was like a, like, a, like, a, like you know, like, you know, when there's, like, this idea of, like, um, you know, like, uh, like, Japanese parents kind of, like, you have to go to school and you have to learn and kind <laughs> of, like you know like study and like and that was like that generation right they, that's exactly what they did and mm. and to like you know help with like the business and and you know like uh you know and that's kind of like how that kind of really put that culture on the map in peru mm. right and right so then, and then um, there was like the other mm. like the grandchildren who mm. you know started cooking right you know i mean like japanese workers came here and Either they worked on farms or, you know, like some of them may have even like cooked like, like proving food and started learning like that part of it, you know, like, mm. yeah. Right. So, and I, I heard it gradually from farm workers, they worked so hard and made some money and studied on more. Their Peruvian, own businesses, yeah. Right. And then that business supports Peruvian restaurants that started open too. So it's kind of the past, mm-hmm. like classic immigration history. But yeah, so so then um, you know you opened the Lamasan. So what's the concept of Lamasan? Lamasan, the concept is Nikkei. It's Peruvian Japanese cuisine, um, but it's not it's not your it's not your traditional Nikkei. You know, like you know people that are familiar with the cuisine and they've had it. You know, it, it there's this idea that it is Lamasan is more. I guess more Nikkei through a through a New York lens, you know. Mm. It's a little more, it's a little more, I guess a little more llama in, you know, kind of like that approach, that idea. Um, you'll find a lot of Japanese ingredients. You'll find a lot of Peruvian ingredients. Mm. Um, that's that's um, I think that's what that's what Lama-san is, yeah. Right. So the concept you don't necessarily follow the exact tradition of Nikkei in Japan, but the idea is to put Peruvian elements and Japanese elements side by side. Yeah, we don't follow like the, the what Nikkei is in Peru, mm. you know. Um, we kind of, <laughs> I wouldn't say we made it up, but like, you know, we kind of, you know, we we kind of took what, what, what we do here and what we've eaten and tasted in Peru and kind of did our own thing with it. Mm. Yeah. Right, so what are the examples of some of it's like for instance um so we have like a hamachi tiradito right which is kind of sashimi style ceviche mm-hmm. and it's served with uni and there's a coconut leche de tigre leche de tigre is the base that we use for all our ceviches and then we add other ingredients to kind of flavor them and make them mm. different um and that we serve with uh with matcha we do like a matcha foam on it Aye. so it's kind of like Using the using the influence from the Japanese and how to how to slice the fish and kind of adding the coconut element to it mm. and then adding like a Japanese ingredient to it, you know, and kind of bring it all together. I, I love that dish. 
It's yeah. pretty good, yeah. Because there's so many different elements, sweet coconut and the slightly bitter matcha and mm-hmm. everything. Like came the grassiness s- from the matcha. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that um, was a huge success. We have a nigiri, but it's not like your traditional nigiri. Mm. It's a aged duck nigiri. Mm. So we cook, we cook the sushi rice. Um, we cook the sushi rice how you would traditionally cook sushi rice. Uh, but instead of using water, we use cilantro water. So we take water, we blend it with cilantro, and we add a little beer to it. Mm-hmm. And then we cook the rice like that. And then we season it with uh, with su, which is mirin, um, mirin, a little sugar, little, um, a little uh, uh, rice vinegar. And then we also season it with sofrito, mm. right? So we do, a, we do a mix of onions, garlic, ají amarillo, and squash. We cook that down. And then we season our rice, our green rice, with the su and um, the, the, the sushi seasoning mm-hmm. and the sofrito. So you have like this kind of like green sushi rice that is very flavorful. Right. Uh, we serve it with like a, a piece of sliced banana, mm-hmm. uh, aged duck breast, and then like what we call chalaka, which is just a red onion salsa mm. and, uh, and covered with an nasturtium leaf, like a big enough leaf that you can wrap the nigiri and kind of eat it with your hands. Right. Yeah, a little pungent and the bitter... Right, that's yeah. the session. Little little pepperiness. Yeah. yeah. And I, I thought, you know, I think to me, as a Japanese person, sushi rice is tricky because we have a preconception sushi has to be sushi rice. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing, like, that equals, there's nothing else. Yeah, and it takes years to, like, perfect it. Right. Yeah. But the sweetness, I think there's some sweetness in the, in the duck itself, too, right? Some, like, honey and kim- kim- Oh, that's right. So, yeah, we... um. So we age it for about two weeks, and then we rub it with um, with some honey and spices, right. and then we roast it, and then we slice it, and put the the, the, the duck breast over the rice, mm. and the banana, and the sweetness, and the the city of rice yeah. that was heavenly, yeah. Mm. So that's a good like, it's I think it's a good representation because you have something that's that we call arroz con pato, which is a traditional criollo like Peruvian dish mm. made into a nigiri, right. you know. So that means um, kind of handy, portable, easy, casual way of yeah. eating. So, yes, I, I think I think it's um, what you tend to think. What can you do with traditional certain dish? How can you put your take on it? So, and I think the the way you do is again, what's the essence of Nikkei? That's again, like you said, it's a Peruvian element that you love, you have Japanese element that you love, and why don't you just put them together, that, which in a way that makes sense. Right. And what you do, I think, is really making sense. Not yeah, each I dish. think people like, yeah, no, exactly. They need to, there needs to be like that, you know, where they eat it and they can, they can pick up both, both, um, both influences, right? Mm. Like they can eat it and be like, oh, they can make that connection. This is, there's something Japanese about it. Right. And there's the other side, right? They can make the connection and be like, oh man, there's something really Peruvian about this. Mm. You know, and I think, you know, I think if, I think if, you know, when somebody's eating the food and they can kind of, they see those both influences, I think it's an, it's an mm. accomplished dish. Right. Yeah. And have you been to the other Nikkei restaurants, like, you know, Pakta or Maido? I haven't Maido? been to Pakta yet. I've been to Maido. I've been to Maido quite a few times. I know Misha. Um, and I think Maido's great. I think the food is so delicious there. Mm. How do you describe the, the food? Um, how do I describe the food? I would describe it by first calling it Nikkei. And it's like... Mm. It's like a more traditional it, Nikkei. 
Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's 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 a little more, yeah, I, yeah, it's a little more traditional. Like, traditional, like, in the sense of, like, Nikkei in Peru. Mm. But, I mean, there's definitely, like, more, like, like his style of cooking, right? A little more creative, playful. Mm. Um, and it's, I, I think it's, like, absolutely delicious. Like, every dish that I've had on that menu, it's, like, mm. it's so good. Right. And yeah. it probably is easier because it's in Lima. So the ingredients are different. The ingredients, yeah. You have all that, f- yeah. It's, if, we, if we could get half of the ingredients that they have out there, it, it would definitely change the, mm. change the game here for Peruvian cuisine. Right. Well, what do you miss most in terms of Peruvian ingredients? Ajis. If we get like fresh ají amarillo, fresh ají limo, right. fresh Basically rocoto. chili pepper, right? Yeah. So how many of them? Like whenever I go well, to... <laughs> there's, um, there's, there's... I mean, there's there's a good amount, but I think the more popular ones that you see in all the food is the jimarillo, which mm-hmm. is kind of like, um, it's an orangey yellow one, right. a little long, fruity, sweet, spicy. Then you have the rocoto, which is kind of more of like a bulbous one, looks like a like an apple with black seeds. That one's very spicy. Mm. Um, then you have the limo, which kind of looks like, um, like a fresno, like a red jalapeno, mm. very spicy. And then you have the ajis that come from the... From the Amazon, mm. charapita, mochero, those are very like aromatic and, and floral and fruity and spicy. Um, so I mean, there, there's, there's, a, there's a good amount, but there's only like a certain amount that are that's used in the food. Mm. And also, freshness is also. Yeah. And then you have like all the fruits from the Amazon, right? Which mm. are amazing, right? And the seafood from the Pacific and all the grains and. Potatoes, over three thousand varieties of potatoes. Mm. Yeah, so right. So that makes sense that the style of um, cuisine you serve at uh, Lemasan is, again, the result of that makes sense because of based on supply of ingredients and. No, exactly. It's it's you know like it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like if you think about like how Nike, what Nikkei is, it's kind of like the same thing, right? It's like. You know, Peruvian parents migrated here, had a kid in the States and kind of grew up with both worlds and kind of uh, exposed with, you know, the American New York City, like East Coast culture and then the the Peruvian culture and kind of, you know, like cooking and and learning how to kind of combine both of those, you know. Mm, So it's kind of it's it's like it's like a new wave of Peruvian cuisine, Mm. you know. Right. So, but it's still somewhat traditional in terms of, there's an essence of it. Right. So you, you didn't just borrow it and doing something. No, modified. no, no. You have like, yeah, it's important to keep that essence, that integrity, because then kind of it gets washed. It's not, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, it loses what it is. Right. You know, there's certain things that you have to kind of, you know, like there's things that you, you can change and there's things that you can't, mm-hmm. you know. Right. Because you want to keep it what it is mm. at the same time. Right. Yeah. yeah, I think there's always a seriousness, I feel, from your menu, whichever restaurant I go to, from your establishment. So, And uh, so um, I have to ask you this question because all of your restaurants are very popular. I believe part of the reason is your amazing team. So how do you build that strong team? Well, it's taken, it's taken four years to build. Um, and... You know, we're very, you know, like for us, it's very important to kind of give, you know, the people that we work with, you know, a voice 
and, and space to kind of be creative and, and kind of give their ideas and input on how to run the business better, how to make things better, you know, like we're not the type that, you know, like like this is the way it is and this is the way it has to be, you know. We always we always try to really really work with our team, you mm. know, and it's it's a very familial like it's you know, it's we're very family, you know, and like um mm. you know and um Is it the typical in Peruvian kitchen in Peru because of cultural element being familial like you know i think it has a lot to do with that mm. i think it does have a lot to do with that um yeah right yeah but then before the show we just had a conversation a little bit about this but you know you have to trust people you know to make that kind of togetherness and delegation yeah no it's it, in the beginning it's it's difficult you know because you're just starting to learn some of the people that you're working with you know and like you don't know their abilities or what they're capable of you know but at the same time you need to give them you know that voice to kind of find themselves and and figure out like the type of chef that they're going to become and you know and, and we want to feed that you know mm. and and i think you know if we're always engaging and present and like not letting them know that we're there and you know like and always kind of build a very positive and and you know like positive environment and culture mm. you know i think we'll keep like we'll keep our staff longer and you know and like and the people like in our in, in the key places will continue to grow and mm. become better right you know it's almost like raising a family or child or something yeah. like that <laughs> it's exactly like raising a family a mm. bunch of kids right <laughs> Yeah, but there's a good energy, you know. I open your restaurant store, there's always something, yeah. you know, fun energy. So, so what is your goal? My goal, our goal, our goal now is to continue expanding um, and just, you know, to continue pushing forward, proving cuisine and exposing it, you know, and, and just kind of having people see, like, how we do it. Mm. You know, and that's um, it, to, to keep growing. Right. I think one, one thing you told me before is that you want to have Peruvian category, like your daily options. Yeah, of course. It's love it to be like a topic of conversation. I think it's slowly becoming that, mm. you know. So let's go out tonight. Where are you going to go? Oh, let's, let's go get some Peruvian food. Yeah. You know, that's the idea. Um, yeah, I think you're making it happen. <laughs> Thank you. That's the goal. That, that's, that's, we, cause then, you know, it just, it's, it, it's, it's such a, like a beautiful cuisine, you know, that people need to learn about it. People need to like go out and eat it. And there needs to be more, there needs to be more, I mean, and there are a handful of chefs in the United States that are doing it. You know, you have, you have a great chef in Miami, you have one in LA, you have a, you have a couple chefs here in New York, you know, with her name was Carmen and the, Mission Ceviche, mm. you know, um, you have, for instance, um, what's her name? She just opened the Peruvian restaurant in Chicago, mm. you know, so it's starting to make a little more traction. But, you know, I think we need more right. of that, you know, for it to for it to get to that level. Mm. Right. But the speed is pretty fast. It's going pretty fast. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And the, yeah it's going pretty fast. Mm. So maybe... Something like Zagat, there's a Peruvian section. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully soon. So, um, yeah, so how, where can we find you 
uh, your updates online or anywhere? My what? Yeah, your uh, social media. Social media. My social media is Lama Eric, Lama underscore Eric. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I'm not that active. I should be a lot more active. <laughs> I don't <but> blame you. <laughs> <laughs> Lama underscore Eric. And uh, I mean, you'll always find me at one of the restaurants. You know, I'm always, I'm always there. Right. But how, how do you allocate your, you know, Williamsburg and to East Village and West yeah. Village? So. so, I mean, I have a schedule that I set up. Mondays, I'm in the West Village. Tuesdays and Wednesdays, I'm in Brooklyn. And mm. Thursday and Fridays, I'm back in the West Village. Take off on the weekends. Mm. Um my day usually starts between 10 and 11, um, and I'm just there all day. It can be <laughs> cooking or talking and having meetings, making sure everything's in line, going over, like, you know, operational matters and stuff like that. Right. You know, but, right, or like, you know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty happy with the, two, with the two chefs that I have mm. at Lama Inn and Lama San. Right. Um, which I think having them in those positions is going to allow us to grow more. Mm. Um, right now, we're kind of thinking of L.A. and Chicago. Wow. We recently went to L.A. Uh, a few weeks ago. Um, somebody reached out with somebody reached out to us. Uh, they have a they have a development in Culver City that mm. they want to speak to us about possibly putting a llama in there. Mm. Which one? Um, platform. Okay. Yeah, it's it's like an outdoor outdoor like food court slash mm, mall nice um actually Robert, roberta's is there oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay yeah. um so we're kind of you know we're we're, we're seeing where that where that's gonna go mm. this um, is gonna be a new concept when you go yeah i think it's gonna be a version of llama in but more i mean it's we have to see kind of how it evolves because the way people eat you know, and, and I think the way people cook in L.A. is different from New York. Mm. So we would probably go there with like, you know, like a New York mentality and kind of like the food from Lama Inn. But it'll definitely evolve into something, evolve mm. into something else, right? right? Eventually with time. Hmm. Maybe it's easier because of the culture in the West yeah. Coast than here. Right? Yeah, there's a yeah, totally. I think there's more of like a like a Latino ethnic kind of culture there. And I think L.A. people more like like more of that ethnic style of food mm. yeah and then we're kind of floating some ideas in chicago um i mean we'll see where it goes right wow keep me posted yeah <laughs> all right so thank you so much for joining us thank you yeah i was so much of things so many things <laughs> going on in your life so thank you all right so uh, listeners if you have any questions or comments about the show or suggestions for show topics or guests please contact us at japanese at heritageradionetwork.org or kikwatayama.com Japan Needs is live at 3 p.m. on Mondays and always available at heritageradionetwork.org, iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. An engineer is Matt Patterson, and thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Japan Needs is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio supported by you. For freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. 
and we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thank you for listening.